Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to How We Evolve. Joining me today is Susan Stevens. Susan is a registered holistic nutritionist and an intuitive counselor and the founder of Liberated Living in Hamilton, Ontario, where she specializes in helping people to overcome addictions, trauma, negative recurrent patterns, depression, and anxiety. For more information about Susan and her work, visit liberatedliving.ca. Now, before we go on, I should warn you that this episode gets vulnerable pretty quickly, and there are some long periods of silence and way too many sniffles choking back tears. What can I say? No one ever said evolving is easy or pretty. But before we get into the conversation, a word from our sponsor, The Non-Ordinary Therapy Company. The Non-Ordinary Therapy Company is the first wellness company built with psychedelics in mind. Wherever you are on your journey from being just curious to wanting to go deep into ongoing integration, the Non-Ordinary Therapy Company can help you everywhere along the way. For more information, please visit notherapy.co. That's www.notherapy.co. Enjoy this episode. I look forward to your feedback. Thanks for listening. Hey, Susan. Thank you for joining us. It's great to see you. It's so good to see you. For everybody listening, a uh, confession, uh, which is Sue and I went to high school together, and Susan also has the claim to being my first ever girlfriend in high school for about a day and a half in grade nine. I don't know if you remember that, but you know, very, very briefly. What was you just tuned out? What too- did you just say? Sorry. Oh, I tuned out at that very much. You <laughs> were my first girlfriend moment. in grade nine. Remember in Mr. Stavnitsky's <laughs> science class for like a day and a half. And then I felt too awkward and uncomfortable. And so that was it. Uh, so for everyone listening, there is a little bit of history here. You know, for a good day and a half, yes. we had a very, very deep and, and intimate connection. Uh, and then my life. <laughs> day and a half, day and a half. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, we had, we spent high school together and normal high school stories and all that kind of stuff. And then basically we haven't spoken by and large, uh, since we all went off on our different paths to university. So, uh, why don't you catch me up to speed on what happened after our fine days as Westdale warriors, as Westdale warriors, the green and the gold, right? Green and gold. Green and that's gold right. All the way. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I, I, I had to reach out to Ronan the other day cause I just felt inspired and I think it had been maybe 20 years or more. So Probably. And, and, and yeah, for full context and the background to this particular conversation is I had put up on Facebook and social media, my desire to relaunch the podcast with a, a focus on, on finding purpose and direct stuff. And, and Sue saw that on Facebook, that wonderful, you know, old social media network. It's weird <laughs> that to think that Facebook is old, but uh, Facebook and, uh, and responded and said, we should have a conversation. So we had a conversation last week, kind of like a preliminary one, actually, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, only half an hour, but it was pretty remarkable from my perspective. So I'm like, all right, we gotta, we gotta do this thing. And so that leads us to here. But with that, I'll throw it back to you and tell us, you know, what happened, what happened between high school and, and, and today, what was your path to do what you do? And, and if it makes sense, feel free to talk about your practice right now and, and the work you do and we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, it's like most people's, it was super curvy path. I think I started off going into music performance 
playing you played the tuba yeah yeah i remember that as a tubist and i was i was hell-bent on doing that but i was i was a wild woman and i went to university and let's just say uh, that got the best of me and i needed to follow that path for a while Uh, so i didn't quite stay in that program um, because yeah i was preferring just being a wild, crazy partier at the time. And I, I, to be honest, I really didn't know why I was so addicted to that lifestyle. It wasn't until right. much later that I kind of discovered the roots of, you know, what, yeah, for me, I had like a drinking addiction for 14 years. So right. it was really, yeah, started off with music and then went into business commerce and okay. I went down that path, which was a really great path to go down and loved it. But then with the whole journey of trying to heal my addiction, cause it was one of those things with like alcohol that I just, it was always like zero to a hundred. And even since I was 14, I never really could control it. It, For me, I was always a very extreme person in the sense of all or nothing. I I had to be like the top of the top student. My dad would always be like, where's the 3%? Like if I got 97, it's where's the 3%? And for me, like drinking was a break from that. It was like a break from my own mind. And so I think I, because I had such an extreme nature and perfectionism and all of that, drinking was like my savior for many years. If you're going to do drinking, you're going to do it right. I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I I had to do the best at every single thing I did. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was wild. Like, I... I really think in trying to figure that out, and to be honest, I never really, until I stopped drinking, it was basically when I was 28 years old and I was working for a printing company, uh, which was sucking the soul out of me. And I just, I remember being so depressed, like just feeling so down. My My drinking was at epic heights. And all this time, I didn't even really know why I was doing it. I just had no connection to myself, you know? Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until I think I didn't show up for a month end. So I was running this printing branch. I had a staff of five people. I had a lot of responsibility. And it was a month end where you're supposed to submit all your numbers, all your accounting for the month. And... The day before I chose to go out all night long, didn't show up for the month end. Can you just imagine? And then I felt so guilty. Like I had never done something like so awful. My drinking had just got to like epic proportions that, and the next day I couldn't go into work because I was so ashamed of myself. I just couldn't. And it wasn't until I think everyone was looking for me in my life. And yeah. the police showed up on my doorstep. Oh shit! And because I wouldn't answer the phone, I wouldn't do anything, and that was like the last straw for me. It, 
everything came crashing down at that point. It was, it was a very humbling experience. And, you know, my parents had already dealt with years and years of me um, trying to quit, you know, many, many disappointments. And yeah, my parents said to me, like, drinking or your family choose. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And it was the best gift I've ever been given, hmm. you know, because it was like, I think I needed that bottom for, I needed that extreme bottom to get over my fear of confronting the past. It was like the pain of the present moment had to become greater than the fear of confronting my past for me. Right. Yeah. Right. So losing my family was it. Right. Yeah. See, that's a incredibly profound moment to have to encounter and, and grapple with. How did you pick up from there? At a certain point, the, the pain of continuing the pattern yeah. has to be greater than the fear, uh, but it's still not easy yeah. to figure out where the, the fuck to go from there. Right. So, yeah. so how did, and, and I asked this also because, uh, you know, I have at least one friend who's, who's struggling with alcohol addiction. Um, and so I think there's probably insight in how you picked up the pieces, brushed yourself off and, yeah. and started towards a different path. So can you, can you share that with us? Yeah. So it, as you said, like you said it, it's not an easy journey. I think it was pretty much the hardest thing in my life that I've ever done especially in the beginning because there it's just everything is new and uncertain and you don't really have it's you don't drinking isn't the problem you know it's it's everything underneath so i think in my mind in the beginning actually i was pretty cocky and i thought oh once i get rid I'm of I'm a tubist i can do this yeah <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't mean to make light of it, but I, I honestly, like this morning, as I was thinking about this conversation, I, like the fact that you played tuba in high school came back to me. <laughs> Just jump on that. Tubas can do anything, and, right? <laughs> and, and Exactly. And for anyone listening, you need to understand Susan is not a person of massive stature. So um, <laughs> playing the tuba is is quite quite an undertaking, but I, I apologize. <laughs> Please continue <laughs> with it, with, with your story. I know it's always, I always find it funny when I tell people about it, they just can't even believe it. They're, yeah. they're like, what? Uh, but yeah, this is it. I, you know, I think for me, it was, it, it was a real journey. I remember uh, speaking to somebody in AA, which was only a path I did for a very short while. And okay. I remember asking him, how long did it take you to heal yourself? And he said, 10 years. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, 10 years? Are you kidding? I just couldn't believe him. And I think I was, I had no idea what was underneath, you know, the reason that I was drinking. I think for me, it started very slowly. Like I, I quit my job. I still had the job that at this printing company, cause they're not allowed to let you go. But I just okay. realized it was out of alignment. I quit it. And I decided that's it. I'm following my heart. So it was in a way, it was like amazing also in the beginning because I went to school for nutrition. I like took eight months off for the first time in my life. And I, I became a bike courier in Toronto. And I just 
booted around the city. Like I just remember hopping on my bike every morning and being like, so free. I just felt so free, you know, just, and just took the time to really brainstorm and just start to get connected. So yeah, so I switched everything. I, I started working for a supplement company in nutrition. I started following my path and really just diving deep and I started doing counseling, but the counselors, and I find this is true with a lot of counseling in with any, with therapy and addictions and anxiety and depression is a lot of the counselors that are free, they're, and I'm, I'm sorry if, if you're hearing this and you're a free counselor and I just, it's very surface level. And I mean, sometimes that's good for an addiction because to be honest, it's very, even to touch on some of these painful emotions for a second is so debilitating. Like usually in the first three years of a, an addiction, it's like sometimes you need more surface counseling and but really after that i'd say after a good three years with addictions then it's time to start going deep and so yeah so for me though it wasn't it wasn't like i quit and then it was done it was like every three or four months i'd have a massive relapse you know yeah. that would almost some of them would almost kill me because it's almost like it's whatever you resist persists. So the more that you don't want to drink, the worse the relapses become. Because when you decide to, it's just like, it's like, yeah, it's a gong show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting you, you touch on that. I, I was just at a dinner last week and I was chatting with someone who who didn't have an alcohol addiction, but he had identified that he has an addictive personality. It got expressed for him through video gaming, right? And, and just getting obsessed with beating a game. And he's the kind of person, we, we share this characteristic so that we have the innate ability to use sheer force of will to get through stuff. Right? And yes. so he's like, when I decided I was done with gaming, I stopped. Mm -hmm. And like, because I knew I had the fortitude to stop. Yeah. But it didn't solve the underlying thing. It's like, I'm stopping the destructive pattern, but I'm not dealing with why the destructive pattern there was there in the first place. And that works, but it's not really the, the healthy outcome. And, and it sounds kind of like yeah. you had the same thing. It's like, I stopped drinking, but the, the desire was still there because the underlying motivation, whatever that was, hadn't been resolved. So it was probably only a matter of time. It became a habit not to drink. It's not like you had sort of given up yes. the, the, the practice of it or the habit or the feeling of it. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love what you said, you know, because that's so true. It's so true. It's, we have, that's the thing. And addiction can be an attachment to anything. And it could be, for me, it was perfectionism. For some people, it could be video games. Uh, for me, like even after I quit, I just, I turned my addiction to a healthy addiction. So then I became addicted to <laughs> working out. Yep. And and it was it was so funny. I remember going up north one time and I was obsessed with eating perfectly. I even had like that what's it called the third or fourth eating disorder, which is orthorexia, which is you being obsessed with the quality of your food. Okay. And it's just yeah, and it was 
you know, I would eat perfectly, I would do this, but the minute I ate one thing, like a Timbit or something that was just not um, perfect, you know, it was like, oh my, it was like the world collapsed. And it, and I remember my friend calling me out and I, and I realized and yeah, even spirituality became an addiction for me. Like I was using it as a bypass. Like if I meditate enough, if I do enough downward dogs, you know, if I do, then I'm never going to have to feel upset or sad or, or unworthy or any of it, you know? Totally. Yeah. My teacher Irwin talks about how adrenaline is one of the most common addictions in the world. But I've realized that exercise has actually become one of the most common addictions in the world. And the other one I realized just, and it's because I'm going through it right now, is success, yeah. you know, is, is however you define success. But it's kind of like ask any parent what they want for their kids. And they say, I just want them to grow up to be successful and happy. And usually it's success first, however that's defined. Yeah. It's like, whoa, okay. It's like, you know, anyway, these are all different forms of the same thing very often, which is why does success matter so much? Certainly there's the basic foundational elements of you need food and water and clothing and housing. And so I guess there's a degree of success that's necessary to achieve that. But most of us, yourself, myself, we go way beyond that trying to be successful. Yeah. I don't know what success actually is, but uh, it's a dogged pursuit, but it's one of the ones that we consider productive. Right. And it's like, it's okay to be addicted to trying to achieve success because it's productive. You make money, you know, you get super connected. You have all these wonderful experiences. Same with exercise, same with so many things. Um, But I just did want to clarify that a Timbit is in fact a perfect food. So you should never have to (laughs) that. Now, my now Tim is Hortons already- is not a sponsor, but if <laughs> Tim Hortons ever wants to sponsor this podcast, I'm listening. This is, yeah, because now my goal is like, how many Timbits can I eat today? Or like, how unsuccessful can I be? Like, there's a lot of joy in being unsuccessful. Like, it's, you know, it's popped up in my, I can't remember, I'm going to butcher it, but it's kind of like losing your reputation or developing a bad reputation is actually one of the most freeing things that you can have because ah. the pursuit of trying to, protect your reputation locks you into certain habits and patterns yeah it's so exhausting it's kind of yeah yeah it's exhausting exactly. even just to have to know all the time or to be the expert or to be the teacher or you know I had that my with my business later on where no matter what I did nothing would work it was I was going through you know the dark night of the soul and I would go on social media and everybody was doing what I wanted to do. And it was, oh, the, the pain that that brought up for me and the, the shame and the embarrassment. And, you know, I really, it was like the universe wanted me to build my foundation on a foundation of, I love myself no matter what, like successful or unsuccessful. I love myself. And because before I had always built on this foundation of a conditional foundation of I'm worthy if, you know, and there's no freedom in that. 
No. It's something I'm experiencing right now. It's like yesterday morning, I got up and I went to Other Ship. I don't know if you've ever come to Toronto to come to Other Ship, but you should check it out. Yeah. Um, it's like a hot, cold sauna place. And it's it's yeah. great. I'm like, I had a great time. I, I met my friend Monique. We had a great conversation. I was feeling great. And then I had lunch uh, with my friend Paula, who is our general counsel at Field Trip. And Paula is lovely. It's it's There's no criticism in what I'm about to say about Paula, but we started talking about what she's doing, what I should be doing. Maybe I should do some coaching. Maybe I should do that kind of stuff. And it got me into the thought pattern of like, oh, I should be doing something. Why aren't I really doing anything? Why hasn't like, why hasn't this kind of worked out yet? And and then I connected with Matt Gray, the, the founder of Herb and something called Founder OS. And again, he was just there. He was being super generous with his time and helpful and thoughtful and compassionate. But by the end of it, I was feeling like, fuck, I need to do, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not doing anything. Why aren't I writing those books? Or why isn't this podcast super successful? Why don't I have all 500,000 followers on, on, on Instagram? I got to start working on that. And I kind of got into it and I got home and like, the feeling is just like, it's the, it's anxiety. Like it just induces anxiety. It came from a very positive split place of inspiration and thoughtfulness and, and support yeah. And it just left me feeling like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm not doing enough. It's a very real. So I, I really very germanely, you know, immediately empathize with what you must have been feeling when you hopped on Facebook and saw all these people doing the things that you thought you should be doing or wanted to be doing. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I hear you completely. It's amazing how subtle these, like these tic-tac thoughts can get into our psyche and mind. And it's yeah. just like... It's like a little bomb like it's just like you know it's amazing it's it's wild how we constantly especially if you've been raised that way in childhood where it's there's a lot of shoulds it's like I should be doing more you should be doing this it's and especially you know who's to say you should be doing any of that it's like I remember I used to have a coach and and I would be like bawling with her and just like, what is wrong? And like, I can't focus on, it was this very similar to what you were going, are going through just with the business and like yeah. nothing's working. And she would just look at me and go distraction. <laughs> that, that, that would, yeah. that would get right under my, underneath my skin and oh. piss me. Right there. Oh, I know. It almost pissed me off when you said it right there. I know. Oh, I hated her. I hated her. And, but it was funny because there was a seed of truth. I was like, I wanted to be like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, just, just with that, where it's like, she's like, you're not supposed to be doing any of that right now. She's like, this is a time for healing. You know, hmm. it's really interesting and aligning. Yeah. yeah. So I hear you. I think this is where we're at in our culture right now is, mm -hmm we're on this precipice, like a, a tipping point with moving from this hustle culture, which is totally misaligned with divinity to, and, and it's all focused on future manifestation because manifestation, like it's really a now thing. That's what, it's not about the future at all. It's all only about the now and, and creating ease and flow in the now. And, you know, really meeting your needs in the moment, not in the future. And that's where we're moving. That's, I, I feel like there's a war going on in people's minds right now between trying to anchor into the 
to the to the universal consciousness and divinity and ease and flow and keep, there's this the mind keeps pulling us to to the past you know i feel like that's what's happening in our culture mm-hmm. totally i mean that's <laughs> that that resonates with me quite a bit because like I'm I'm literally stuck in that flow right now because mm-hmm. the moments over the last two months since I left field trip that have been like the most spectacular for me uh, have typically involved my children. And it was nice because unlike up until that point, I could be fully present with them or when I was meditating because I didn't have that worry about what's going to happen when I pick this thing up. What am I going to walk into that's going to be there? Um, and it, and it's been beautiful, but it's slowly but surely. You know, at first when I left, I'm like, "Fuck, I need something to do. Like, I need to make income." And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't actually. But uh, then that kind of subsided, and I was like, "Okay, I've got some space. Like, I can let's lean into it. Let's start. The, let's do this in the pod. Let's go yeah. deep on the spiritual journey." And then, like time goes on, it starts to become like, "Oh shit!" The longer I'm not working, the farther I am away from success and and is there going to be a path to it in the future and for whatever reason in my psyche I've always built that like I've always had this like expectation that my life is a house of cards and and at a point if you're not building the foundation if you're not reinforcing it it's gonna fall over at some point and yeah yeah and 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 all at the same time there's that part of me and this is where it becomes a defeating cycle that says you need to be stopping and healing and and, and doing all of that stuff Uh, and then I'm like well now I'm fucking not doing that right either now I'm not doing anything right and and now it's like it's pretty pretty destructive Uh, so well it's so hard it's 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 so hard but you're you're on this in this totally new space it's complete unknown and uncertain space that it always it's like a it's the in-between and, and not wanting to recreate the old in your life. Yeah. So it's, I, I understand it. I I completely hear where you're at. It's, it's funny. I, I'm, I, in my life, I'm in the exact same space as you. So I, I really hear you of trying to, trying to create something totally new, but divinely guided I'd say, and in a different way than, than before, I think it's hard because it requires such faith and, yeah. and, and you know what? I, I don't think people, I don't think we're not used to like, say we go through these times of in between and those fears creep up. Like, should I be doing more? I should be doing more. You know, if I don't, you know, if I don't do something, then I'm going to fall behind. Or if I don't, if I'm not working on this, nothing is going to happen. Even that, that belief, which is not necessarily true. We think, we we always think, you know, manifestation requires work, you know, which is not, it's not always true, but it's so interesting because I think divine, and this is what I've been healing within myself as well. I feel like, God, give, whoever you believe in, gives us exactly what we need every single moment. But we're so used to seeing anxiety and negativity or like even that feeling like I should be doing more. We see that as a problem, but that's the path. That very thought is the path. And that's what people don't, 
realize they think anxiety I gotta get over this I gotta get over this and get on with this but they don't realize it's like or they feel left like god where is he what is he doing like I'm not getting supported but every single day when you get that belief I should be doing more and there's like a tension in the body that's the path that's where you need to dive into because that's the limiting belief that subconscious belief that's holding you back it's actually holding you back for from it needs attention in the moment that very belief you know it, it has its roots in the childhood it was planted at some point like I should be doing more you know perhaps you were a kid and you were you know not achieving enough and somebody said something or perhaps you know your parents were workers and never took time for themselves you know, they never, they never were good at embracing their lazy, unproductive, like, you know, let's just like lay around all day and have, you know, and so I think it's like, we need to go back to that little, our little ones and really say, sweetheart, you're not, you feel like you're not doing enough. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And to like, I'm so sorry. There was so much pressure. You know, this is it. Like, I'm so sorry. You know. That hits a note. Yeah. That's what I want to say to you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So just for everyone listening, when Susan, and, and I want to hear a little bit more of your story because I'm, I'm deeply curious about it, but when <clears throat> Susan and I connected a couple of weeks ago and had a preliminary conversation, <clears throat> I had known that Susan had gone into nutrition and all that kind of stuff. And so I wasn't sure where the direction of our conversation was going to go, <clears throat> but I was kind of updating her on what happened with field trip and how I had been experiencing <clears throat> brain fog you know, pretty substantial brain fog for a month or so. And uh, Susan was like, I know. And I'm like, what? How do you know? She's like, I can see it. And I'm like, looking over my shoulder. I'm like, how do you see it? She's like, you feel it right here, like the back of your head, across the front of your face. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's exactly where it is. And, uh, you know, Susan refers to herself as an intuitive counselor. I believe is the term, whatever the term is. And and she totally, totally nailed it. And, you know, that conversation pursued and, and we went into it and we'll probably come back to that in a little bit. But I was like, oh my God, yeah, you totally hit on it, you know. And, <clears throat> yeah. you know, there, there's those moments in life when the resonance in the room changes, whether you believe it or you call it an emotion, it just, it hits. Like she hit on it, you know, then and, and, and here now as well. So, I do want to continue on that path. So you embark on this path of counseling and, you know, trying to stop drinking and, and yeah. take us through to the moment where this intuitive counseling stuff, it's, it's not something you can, I think naturally, well, maybe you can't train for it. I shouldn't say that, but it's not something that necessarily naturally is, is a practice that people 
self-identify like, oh, I'm good at this. Like I, I get it. I can do this. Um, so how did you get to that point? You start bike couriering and then what happens? <laughs> yeah. So I think I started with nutrition and then I realized nutrition is like 10, 20% of the issues, <laughs> you know, right. with people, it's like even getting people to try to give up a coffee, you know, and they give you the death stare when you ask them to do it, you know, something as simple as that is, you know, people have so much emotional attachment to things and it, you have to go much deeper to create change. So I realized, and even for myself, it's like, I had so much anxiety in my body. I was, I consider myself a, an empath or highly sensitive or clairsentient, but truth be told is everybody has quite, you know, I can clairsentient, I can feel other people's energy in my body, but everybody that I meet has energy in their body daily. And so, you know, I'm not different. It's just some people are more tapped in probably, but yeah. So I started this journey of deep diving, working with a coach that was a psychotherapist, like for 14 years. And I took psychotherapy, went to psychotherapy school, dropped out early uh, because I got pregnant and I was nesting and, but it was funny. And then I, I started doing energy work and Reiki and pretty much all, all the courses that I could just take, like little courses, like emotional freedom technique and meditation. And I just would keep, I went to every woo-woo counselor out there the more i got the better life became and yeah and but as you said i think that's and i was going to touch on that before with counselors i think to be an effective counselor you have to do the deep work yourself and no even if you go through school and you can have all the initials behind your name but it really is and I hear this from a lot of my clients, they, they go to psychiatrists, they go to psychologists, and some of them are amazing, but it, some of them aren't because they really haven't gone deep enough in their own psyche. And, you know, the spiritual journey is not for wusses. It's, it's, it's like not all unicorns and rainbows, you know, (laughs) it's, it's a bitch. Like it's not always fun. And So, yeah, but I think doing the deeper work, I think the minute I learned inner child work and energy work and Reiki, that just changed my whole life because I I took it and I ran with it and I, it was a tool before I would lie on the ground for hours with anxiety and I just wouldn't. I would be doing push-ups. I would be like trying to jump up and down and like, you know, say positive affirmations and positive affirmations are a joke. You know, you, if anything with therapy, you want to say fuck positivity and get straight to the negativity, you know, because that really, that's never what was embraced usually as kids. You don't get, you don't get somebody saying to you, it's okay to be not okay. Like how, how sad do you want to be today? Like, you know, you don't usually have space. There's not usually, or like, let's get angry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. One of my one of the things on my list to do today is find a, a primal scream therapist in Toronto because I really want to try that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. A total sidebar. Uh, my first ever psychedelic therapeutic session. Yeah. I went in with an intention to find my voice because I found that I've always had strong opinions weakly held and often get, you know, overruled or trampled over by, you know, well-meaning business associates or or whatever. So I went in to to find my voice and and I think a lot of my work focuses on on that theme. But Last week, I recorded two podcast episodes, one that should be coming out in a couple of days. And it was interesting. It, I don't know what was up that day. You know, it's it's too foggy in the memory, but you can hear my voice was very different on the recording because I went back after to re-record the intro and my voice is, the, the timber is totally different. There's something different about my voice and it didn't feel, I felt it, like it felt kind of clogged up it yeah. here. And so like, yeah. Anyway, primal scream therapy is high on my list oh, of things I, to try. I'll uh, do it with you. <laughs> all right. I think for you, you know, just for you specifically, it's so important because like just even now where you're feeling the energy, you know, it's on, you know, your neck and your left and your right side of the head. And, you know, this is really all about resentment and anger and not being heard and not somebody not having your back or there's like a deep need for you to I think and you'll have to tell me if like as a child like if you know you were allowed to get angry or upset or that was encouraged because that's what has been almost made wrong I feel for you you know yeah I think you're 100 percent on on point I don't I don't recall ever being told not to get angry mm-hmm. I think I my my brother was very hot-headed and so and so was my grandfather who was like quick to snap you know and, and yell and so I think I learned as a as a strategy to stay quiet. And actually, I think it, it goes back further, which was, when did I realize this? I don't know. I, I think it was after a, a, a psychedelic journey that I had this realization, like my, I, I don't know if you recall, but like my parents had a spectacular divorce, you know, it was covered in, in the good old days when you could talk about people's divorces and their children in the Globe and Mail, it was covered in the Globe and Mail. And, and I think I learned during that whole era to just stay quiet, you know, just to not mm. be a squeaky wheel yeah. in, a, in a house full of volatility. Yes. And, and so... I think that's where a lot of it came from. Yeah. And then I, I remember at some point, probably in high school, I'm not sure, maybe a little bit before that, consciously making the decision that I was going to be a boat that wasn't going to be rocked, right? And mm. you know, it just made it easier just to stay within a parameter of emotional rigidity, uh, just yeah. because like, otherwise, <clears throat> life seemed probably too hard. Mm. Yeah. 
So I think all of those had factors. And then, yeah. And then going back to the success piece, mm -hmm. actually at the, at the same conference last week, I was talking to someone named Erin File. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. She was also a coach on the end. You know, I was, I was relaying how growing up, my grandfather was wealthy, you know, but died nearly bankrupt. I think he died actually bankrupt. And my dad went from like high wealth to zero to high wealth, like ping pong back and forth. Uh, and so logically, <clears throat> you know, created the, the, the impression of like, it can all be taken away like that. Mm. But I don't think I had <clears throat> really let the energy of being around that. Cause I, I don't yeah. remember being logically aware of everything that was happening, yeah. but so, yeah. So those were both kind of things that just kind of sit there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's so challenging. And, and especially if you're, you go through these events and there's no one there to acknowledge the pain of that, yeah. you know, I just want to say right now, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's painful. Got hot in here. Okay. <laughs> Bear with me one moment while I take off my sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and scary, you know. Yeah, what did that bring up for you when you went through that? What were the feelings that it brought up for you? Right now? Yeah. Interestingly, it, like it, physically, it's the same feeling, like in the throat. It, emotionally, I, I don't know how to articulate it. It was just sadness. Yeah. You're such a man to be so vulnerable on this podcast. <laughs> Wait till you see the documentary. There's, uh, <laughs> uh, there's yeah, I, I say in the documentary, there's not a goddamn moment in this documentary where I'm not crying. So right, yeah. I think I think that's the biggest issue we have in our culture. It's like men aren't supposed to cry. We're, we're too much. We feel too much. We're told we're too much. It's, it's poison in our bodies. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're constantly trying to escape, you know, these emotions 
and it creates so much suffering and it's like it would have been nice for you to hear like be a crybaby <laughs> like I'm here for you yeah. no matter what like don't don't be happy when you're not you know yeah yeah and there's nowhere you gotta go yeah right I know. Yeah. It's always been my default pattern to just like pick up and just keep plowing through, right? Yeah. It's always been like the, in some ways, the, the safe way because it's like I knew it and like I could make progress somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and when we when we spoke last week, uh, two weeks ago, you know, we we're talking about field trip, and <clears throat> I think you you definitely hit on something. I was talking about like you're just trying to explore the depth of emotions because it was like such an intense period. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, you, you use the the word heartbreak around it, and that totally hit a nerve. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, it's a heartbreak. Well, especially like if you've learned in your life that everything you love always leaves. You know, that's, that's it. It's, it's no wonder there's like so much grasping all the time. It's funny with security because it's, it's such a now thing that it's like we're constantly trying to attach to something in the future to create that security. They want to keep it, but we don't realize like security is just being there for your emotional self every single moment. And yeah, it's, and that, then that's only when we start to lose, like, it's, it's like you with that heartbreak. It's like just holding that heartbreak and grieving it and being there for the heartbreak. Whereas like with our old mind, it's like, we don't want to sit in the heartbreak for a second. We want to try to, you know, escape it and, and try to you know, create something so we never ever 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 have to experience it again whereas yeah. like if you get so good at sitting in heartbreak there's nowhere to get to <laughs> yeah yeah just as as you're saying that it brings up <clears throat> more conventionally defined heartbreak which was like i can point to two moments you know and when when I broke up uh, with a, a girl in grade 13 and and like I've I found out some you know not so nice things had happened behind my back like I, I had no idea how to work with the intensity of that yeah and I'm like it was too much it was too much yeah and yeah I don't think I've ever wanted to go back there it really does feel like <clears throat> it will overwhelm 
Oh, I'll kneel. That's it. I think especially if you've never had anyone that has held space for you in that way where it's like, especially for men, I think more than anything, especially where it's like really like sweetheart, like I'm here for you. Like there's no way you have to be. Like, let it's okay not to be strong. It's more manly not to be strong, you know. It's so hard. I, I, I think for men, and I think for people that haven't had that they, as a child, there's just a distrust around it too. There's like it's an overwhelming feeling, and people feel like if I go into it, it's never gonna stop, <laughs> and it's like. They don't trust people to hold space for them. They don't know how to do it themselves. And there's only so much you can take. And I think in the beginning, it's like you have to kind of dip your foot in the water. And then, and then you pull it back out. And that's all you can handle. <laughs> and then you have to numb out again. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But Give me one second. I'm, I, I, should, I should have a box of tissues for... <laughs> Podcast going <laughs> yeah, there will be crying in this episode. <laughs> this conversation reminds me of the first kind of revelation, I guess, on a spiritual path. Like I, I really had, I was standing on Steph, my now wife, then at the time girlfriend, her driveway, and I just got back. I'm riding my bike, and I picked up my phone and. You know, Owen, I went to high school together. Yeah. I had called him or texted him a couple of days beforehand. He had just moved to California uh, and I had a realization that like he hadn't called or texted back. And I found myself this time for the first time aware I was doing it, doing the mental math of kind of making the assumption that I had done something wrong, you know, to, to upset him or he had realized he didn't want to be my friend for whatever reason. And I started the mental math of, okay, what does life look like without that friendship in my life? And, and started kind of thinking about how I'd fill in the, the social aspects and the, the friendship and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and for the first time I caught myself, I was like, How fucked up is that? Yeah. And it was great because it, because I saw myself doing it for the first time. Yeah. And could take what was an unconscious pattern and make it conscious. Yeah. And of course, it was all in my head. There was no issue there mm -hmm. with Owen, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. 
know, it's it's like this. It's we always go back to like there's something wrong with me. You know, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that has become <clears throat> more relevant recently is You know, while I was CEO of Field Trip, like I thought I had developed these, what were friendships more than just work relationships, right? And, yeah. and ever since I left that position, everything, ever since Field Trip went into restructuring, like yeah. the people I would hear from regularly, you know, kind of disappeared, a lot of them. Not entirely, but it's just like, it's not the same. And it's like, oh, it was because I was a CEO. I thought it was because of me, but no, no, it was my position and that's been a oh. something I haven't really let in yeah and that's like that's that's the theme for you it's like this it is a, a almost like a betrayal and and a heartbreak like a broken trust yeah. yeah where was the broken trust for you when you were younger or the 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 loss, the heartbreak, and the abandonment. Where was that for you? Probably many places, but like there is <laughs> one particular moment. And this was a realization, like I had explored this, this experience quite a bit, but it just came to kind of new light, which was <laughs> when I was about four or five, we were living in Toronto in a condo. In Toronto and my parents had been split up and my dad was always made up to be the bad guy right I had very little contact with him between the age of two and, and that point some contact but not a lot <clears throat> and I remember uh, it was one morning or whatever I remember I was eating a banana and for some reason bananas feature prominently in a lot of my, my traumatic experiences as, as a youth and <laughs> And I was eating a banana and my mom told me that my dad was coming to take my brother and I on a whatever visit kind of thing. And that, that moment, because I can remember I spat out the banana and started crying because I really didn't want that to happen. And so like at, at that moment and, and what I've realized now is like, it, 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 it was framed in my mind recently in like the idea of loyalty, which was... <clears throat> you know, I couldn't trust my dad because he was made up to be the bad guy. Mm -hmm. At that moment, I couldn't trust my mom because she betrayed me oh. into that. <clears throat> and then, you know, my brother, <clears throat> as a kid, had his own experience with the exact same thing. And he was a hothead. And, like, we weren't friends. I couldn't trust him. Yeah. My grandfather was a hothead. I couldn't trust him. Yeah. So I, I learned to become very self-reliant. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry you couldn't trust people. being that alone for that long. 
that's what I want to say to your little boy. I'm just so sorry you were all alone. And just no one was there for you. I think, yeah, this is where a lot of our resilience comes from, you know, it's, it's really rooted in, in pain. It's a beautiful quality. <laughs> it's well earned, I guess. It's well earned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it works. It works for a while, you know, really well. It works good. Yeah. Yeah. Gets you through. Yeah, and it's, you know, what comes up for me as you like saying that, it's like, that's the thing. It's, we're taught like, oh yeah, no one, no one's there for you. And then we, we aren't even taught how to be there for ourselves, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I almost, like, if I would want your big you to say to your little you, like, hey, buddy, I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you. So sorry no one taught me how, you know. Yeah. kind of <clears throat> became aware of some of that. I don't know what brought it up, but I've known, I know that when there's been disputes between friends yeah. of mine, I always take a neutral position. In yeah. Pattern, but I think <gasps> it's because like, I don't, one of the realizations was like, I didn't know loyalty. So how could I be loyal in a dispute to one side or the other? Because it was like a, yeah, a, an unknown experience. Yeah. Well, this is it. Yeah, it's, and it's exactly, and it's almost funny what's coming up now for you is like, there's this need to go from the peacekeeper to embracing your inner bitch. <laughs> Like, it's like, fuck nonviolent communication. <laughs> <laughs> I like your choice of words. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's funny. And that's the thing with like, especially with swearing, because it's like, we're told, I use that in therapy all the time, because it's, we're always told to like, say it in a nice way, be nice, be respectful, be empathetic. Like, and too often our compassion is a betrayal for others is a betrayal to ourselves. 
Mm. You know, and it keeps us stuck, and it it's like an abandonment to ourself, where like it's like your little boy never got to say, you know, fuck you, you didn't have my back, you know. It's like, you know, yeah. like, thanks for not being there for me, you know. Thanks for not listening to me, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're too nice, especially as Canadians, you know, I really feel like even with the whole COVID thing, the reason why that are <laughs> the whole political, everything about it was there to bring up our inner bitch or to really for Canadians to finally like have a backbone. Right. And to to say like, you know, like 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 stop controlling me or like, you know, like I'm done with this shit or like and I just speak it in that way because that's the problem is people think like that's the way it has to come out of the body. Right. It can't, like, I always get people like, oh, you hurt my feelings. And it needs to be like, fuck you! Like, stop being a selfish bitch! Like, that's the way it needs to come out. Like, not to the person, obviously, but it it needs to be really authentic and just, like, yeah. with, you know, X-rated, <laughs> honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, I, I know that's part of my journey. Which is like, I can say those words and like, I can start to like scratch the surface of the emotion, but I have a hard, hard time letting mm -hmm. the intensity of the emotion come through. Interesting. What do you yeah. think that is for you? What feels, what feels, what resistance is there? Like, what is that fear when you think about that? What comes to mind is in a world where you expect everybody to abandon you, oh, yeah. you don't take chances with burning bridges. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. So. Well, it's, and, and here's the thing that's very valid. And to be honest, like if people were better at saying their fuck yous in full rawness, first away from the people like you're not gonna go say that to them you'll never have friends for the rest of your life but in that way but if we get yeah. to like purge it out because you know too often i think this happens like with relationships is you get trigger trigger there's a double trigger each person is bringing up the other person's childhood wounds and yeah. you know yours are you know, around abandonment, somebody's might be a scared of conversation, whatever it is. Um, and it's so often people don't know how to drop in to their emotion and to the yeah. childhood experience because every single thing that's happening in the present moment is connected to the past. And so yeah. people don't know how to release it all. Like say, have a primal, like you said, primal scream so that because too often you try to talk to the person, but when your inner child is there and, and he's upset, there's no hearing the other person. You can't possibly give the other person compassion and empathy when your inner inner child's like, 
you hurt my feelings. Like, it's just like, he's like, man. Like, You know, so I, but I, I do hear you. It's like, if, but I do think there's a way in our culture to like, after you get upset and you release it to really come back and say, Hey, I was feeling this because I need this. And I, I'm thinking you might be feeling this because it, and, and I don't, I, we don't say it like this. We don't say, Hey, I was, I felt abandoned when I didn't, when you didn't respond back to my texts. I, I felt like a deep heartbreak and I realized it was because when I was a kid, you know, my parents weren't there for me and I went through a divorce and it broke my heart, you know, and then we don't look at it from the other person's perspective where we see what is their, what are they feeling? What's their need and what's their childhood wound? And we have to ask people those questions. You're not in the place right now to even hear it because you got some anger in your head. Like, (laughs) it's like, that's the interesting thing is if I, even in the therapy session, if I skip, like give you the advice, somebody, the advice I'm giving you now, your whole body's going to go. Right. Not, is not going to hear it because that's the thing. You can never skip to solutions before comfort and before full acknowledgement of feelings. But that's eventually... For you, it'd be like, yeah, like, I'm sorry that people leave when you express your upset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. You know, yeah. kudos to kudos to Steph and I. It's like we've had our fair share of, like, moments, but we've gotten to a place where we can yeah. either come to the conversation saying, like, this is what I was feeling when this happened and not pinning it on that person now. Which yeah. is what a lot of people do and work through it. And, and now there's like a, a safety around that. And even when there's not safety around it, we've got to the point where we know that there's a backdrop of safety. And if there's not safety in the moment, it's because the other person has been triggered and yeah. will eventually come around to it. Now it's, I think, expanding that out into a broader arena. And then, you know. And then getting to a place of, of self-worth, which is certainly something I've struggled with. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what? It's interesting you say that because I think that's the thing with anger is in order for people to release anger, it it's anger is an act of worth. So like with you, you get like this little tic-tac pain in your tummy right now. Yeah. yeah. So it's like there until we totally heal that self-worth like if for example it might be like saying something to yourself like you know to that little boy like it this wasn't your fault you know there is you're allowed to be upset and you did nothing wrong if anything you need to blame your parents like you know that little boy needed to hear like it you don't have to be respectful to your parents it's okay to blame them especially if their behavior is is painful and has you know if it has a consequence and I think too often we hear that like don't blame 
it's not healthy it's not spiritual to blame anyone and i i'm all about i'm blame like i'm blame away like, I'm just like... <laughs> yeah, blame your parents blame Make your parents 40 songs <laughs> yeah well, it, you know, it's so funny. It's like when I had, I had tons of sexual abuse in my life and I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. And abandonment at age three and sexual abuse that caused my whole uh, addiction. And right. I, that was the biggest deterrent to my healing was feeling like I had to be positive. I had to be compassionate and I couldn't blame. And even in, you take something like AA, where it's, you know, what's the fourth step? The fourth step is, you know, oh my God, I'm forgetting it now. Like admit all your wrongs, right? And I I think that's so detrimental, to be honest, because it's like you're taking the blame yet again of, and usually people with an addiction or with any kind of trauma, usually it's it's from deep trauma like where their safety was violated you know their you know their their boundaries their they weren't loved they were made wrong like so if anything like the the best the healthiest thing they could do is learn to blame the other person and release the anger around that and i know for myself like that's when I really started to heal because I would constantly attract, you know, you always attract what you, your trauma, your unresolved trauma. And I would just always attract men that would objectify me or would be emotionally unavailable or would have sex addiction or my whole life just right. constantly. And it was actually, it was a beautiful thing because it brought up so much rage in my heart. And that right. was, that was very healing. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I imagine so uh, shifting gears for one second. So you started doing this work and, and it feels like, and I may be putting words in your mouth here. So please for, you know, forgive and, and correct, but somewhere along the way you found a purpose or your purpose or a purpose for right now. Is that, is that an accurate statement? And how did that happen? Or did that kind of just emerge from the work? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. It's funny now, more so than before, I don't, I feel like there's this universal, universal shift going on right now that is a pretty profound but yeah i think i think the purpose i think for years i and i mean the purpose is always changing so yeah. i think my purpose before it was you know healing this trauma and now there's like a mission for me to I think the ultimate purpose is really help people to connect to divinity and to more than chasing, more than chasing the external, you know, finding real liberation, which is, you know, an acceptance of everything that is, it's, 
it, it's so funny because even accepting the non-acceptance is acceptance. It gets complicated, but it's funny because, you know, Eckhart Tolle, I remember he, he said this line and I was, I don't know if I, did I share this with you last time? I can't remember, but there, he was asked like, what, what is the ultimate, if you could give a person one thing of advice or like in, 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 in a sentence, what would it be? And he basically said like, I don't care what happens. And that for me, that just stuck it so deeply in my psyche because that felt to me like true to get to the space where you just don't care. You're not chasing anything. You're not trying to avoid anything. You're not running from anything. It's like whatever comes into your world you can just sit with and you know your your clients your clients cancel and you you know how to be there with the fear and you sit in that fear and you don't run from it and you don't go to hustle i got to make money i got to figure it out i got to you buy this course you, do you know how many hundreds of thousands i i probably spent a hundred thousand dollars on courses that i didn't do none of them <laughs> <laughs> just that's amazing you know what i mean yeah yeah like and how many partners like how many times like you know even dating and getting into relationships and all from the space of loneliness it's like seeking from loneliness instead of just sitting with it and yeah. truly like it's like what i thought of when we were going through that a little bit of a process with you is like no matter what I'm here for myself that even that is pretty profound to just always learn how to be there for yourself in every single moment whatever that looks like with no judgment and yeah. no shame yeah that that to me is is hot like <laughs> <laughs> The interesting thing, though, is like if I was going to sum up, I mentioned it before, that moment when I decided I was going to be even keel. Yeah. If I was going to sum up the words, I would have used, I don't care what happens, you know, which was kind of a dishonest yeah. expression of it, though, because I did care. I just wasn't going to let myself experience that. But I, it's, yeah. I can see how that can be misapplied and, and taken in a direction that can be destructive like I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, when you're at a younger, it's like, it's more of like an angry state. Like, yes, yeah. it's used to kind of numb out instead of embrace and allow. It's like, Ooh, sadness. Yay. <laughs> well put. Well put. I think Byron Katie said, used to say this, like, I look forward to being sad. She used to always make people say those lines, like, yeah. you know, and it's really true when you start to look at, uh, and you, I mean, you did such a beautiful job today, just opening and being so beautifully vulnerable, uh, which is like when we start to get an excitement for like, Ooh, <laughs> what's coming up today you know yeah. um and we're less resistant there can be such a peace in the the sadness 
and we stop chasing the the other because it's there's just it's there's just this beautiful magic that happens when the resistance falls away yeah yeah so we went deep ish on this conversation i'm not surprised but i wasn't necessarily sure how this was going to evolve <laughs> where do we go from here I, last time we spoke you made me take a picture of my tongue and send it to you because it's partly the intuitive work, but partly the brain fog is something else going on. So yeah, you know, what, what do you suggest we do from here? Cause I don't, I don't want this podcast just to be a one conversation with Susan. It's like, yeah, I want it, I want it to be a deep dive. I want us to yeah. go into it. So, so how do we go from here? How do we evolve? How do we evolve? The name of the title. I love that. I love that name. Uh, yeah. For you, I think there's, what I pick up is there's two things going on with you. So it's, this this pain in your head which keeps coming and going if you didn't notice it's like there's layers and layers coming in is two two parts is like emotional and yeah we may have to you know i i love to do i have many modalities like breath work inner child work but with you i love i would love to do like energy work with you and sure. have you on my table and also take you through a process to kind of connect some of these emotions you're having back and really give, be there for that younger you. And okay. Yes. And really help you be there for that younger you and, and see what the message is because really the message is in your body all the time. And there might be some screaming involved. And... <laughs> The, the the first time and the second time, I don't know your experience with, with psychedelics, but the, the first time and the second time I've done, I did five MEO DMT, uh, which is the spirit molecule. Uh, you could hear me yelling from a very far distance away. Not, not of anger, of sheer and abject fucking terror oh in the experience. God. Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the closest I can recall to that kind of terror was when I went bungee jumping in New Zealand the day before I'd done skydiving and there was something so peaceful about skydiving. Maybe it's because yeah. it was so abstract being so high up. You can't really make sense of about what's about to happen, but when you're only 300 meters up and you can see every nook and cranny below you that you could slam into at high velocity, it really changed the experience for me. And I don't know where the video is, but there's actually a video where they shoot like up close and then like pan out wide and then like a super wide shot and you can see me jump and then it flips and you see me falling and it flips to like so you get the full extent <laughs> and you just hear me like it's not meant to be an audio recording but you can actually hear me going ah. <laughs> that, that was pretty much akin to my experience in 5-methoxy DMT so uh, but oh again God. terror as opposed to maybe anger and maybe anger is the, the thing that needs to come out next. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I would have been terrified. I think <laughs> I, I would have been, I would have been probably terrified just as much as you. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Especially, especially for me, I've always had a fear of going, especially with drugs. Like I, I finally did a mushroom trip for the first time in a while and oh, nice. they, yes. And I've always 
because of all the past experiences I had with losing control, I, I was like, okay, if I go into this, it has to be really slow because just even getting fucked up again right. brings up, especially with, with doing drugs again. So it's, it's interesting. I, I would have been like huddled in a corner <laughs> wanting my blankie for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can do that to you yeah. for sure. But, sure. oh, and I was going to say the other thing with you too, uh, would be good for you to do. Like what I said before is we'll have to do this is to do with the nutritional and it's for you. It's, it's all gallbladder. I just feel every time I talk to you, I'm like, it's gallbladder. <laughs> the gallbladder is having a, <laughs> the grumpy gallbladder. <laughs> You know, it's so funny. It's not specifically about the gallbladder, but a couple of years ago, I had to do a, a CT on my kidney yeah. and you have to drink a lot of water beforehand and like you have to have a full bladder and all that kind of stuff. And, and the CT operator, the technologist was like, dude, you have a really big bladder and <laughs> led me to the expression that some guys are brain, some guys are brawn. I'm mostly bladder. So maybe I knew this conversation was coming. Uh, but okay, my my gallbladder. Uh, yeah, I, you are I, mostly bladder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think, and isn't it funny? So you know what gallbladder has to do with emotionally? It's I'm gonna go with anger, but it, yeah, it's all about resentment and unspoken truth. Yeah. So it's it's the lack of self expression, and so especially when people have trauma, they always have issues with like the gallbladder because it's all about not being able to express your needs or your feelings and so on. But for you, I think there's something with chemical. It just keeps coming up in my psyche, um, like heavy metals or chemicals that is causing these like headaches or head pressure or migraines that, you know, really you can tell just, you know, looking at your tongue, you can tell, you know, what foods, flavors, and herbs are right for you. Say, for example, like with gallbladder, it's with a lot of people, it's sour and bitter is a good flavors, but okay. well, not for everybody. Sometimes some people may need, that could actually make it worse. So you have to figure out what your constitution is to, to figure out, yeah, what's, what's going to bring your gallbladder back. And like some people are good with raw, some people are cooked, some people it's vegetarian, some people paleo so every there's no one diet fits all i always say to people you need to run for the hills if you get somebody that's promoting that because right. everybody's so different and yeah and and with live blood like i do live blood analysis that would really tell you exactly what's going on in your body yeah from you know from either inflammation or like liver gallbladder chemicals parasites you know it's it's very comprehensive it it's actually it's it's insane that more people don't do it because it 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 can tell you so many things in one snapshot and you see it with your own eyes it's truly fascinating yeah i'm very interested okay so what we'll do from here is i'm gonna edit this one and we'll push it live i'm traveling next week but what's the best way to schedule an appointment with you um, should we the website or should we connect offline to do that yeah i'll send you a link 
and then okay. you can you can come for whatever you think you want first. Or both. All right, you're gonna trust me with that. That's really <laughs> terrifying, but let's do it. So, well, Susan, thank you so much uh, for reaching out, uh, for initiating this conversation uh, for the time a couple of weeks ago and for your time today. Uh, it's certainly been cathartic for me to uh, help get some emotions out, but I have a feeling there's a lot more work to do and we'll go from here. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's thank been you, so Susan. good to reconnect with you.